This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 99 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Equestrian Collections, Equisketch, and Kentucky Performance Products. I'm Chris Stafford, and our guests this week are Tim Duda and Richard Davidson. And back in the co-host chair is Heather Blitz. Hi, Heather. Hi, Chris. It's been a long time since I've seen you here on the show. Uh, It has been a while. You've been extremely busy. I know we're going to come to it later on in the show to update everybody with Paragon's Diary. But uh, congratulations on what what has been a fantastic season so far for you with him. Well, thanks a lot. um, This just exceeded my expectations and can't uh, wish for more than that i guess but it's really been really been a fantastic season it, it really has and you're staying down there and enduring the summer heat in wellington well yes i may be foolish but we'll see um, <laughs> i'm gonna have been time in the southern u.s so I, i'm no stranger to heat although i never will admit that i like it um but that was a better option than moving for the 12th time in uh maybe a few Five years, I think it's been. I've just moved a lot lately, and I think I've just had enough of cardboard boxes and suitcases for a little while. I can well imagine, but you do a bit of traveling with your clinics too, don't you? Have you been on the road recently? I have been. I just got back from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Joni Bolton hosted a a clinic out there for me, which was fantastic, and I've got quite a a full schedule of clinics. I'm booked all the way until the end of the year, so... um, I'll be all over the country and also in Canada this year. Oh, terrific. And so you have to fit this in with your competition schedule, and I guess Paragon drives that competition schedule as well. He does. Well, we probably won't be doing any competing this summer. We've already, you know, put in our efforts that we needed for this um, in the season in Florida. So we'll spend our time now, you know, going back to the grindstone and seeing if we can get into some good quality Grand Prix type of connection and work and um, then we'll show again in the fall so he can have um, weekends off while I'm off um, bringing home the bacon so I can keep feeding him (laughs) (laughs) the carrots he probably does he have a favorite treat well you know he just eats it all (laughs) (laughs) pretty much is not a picky horse Um, he is uh, he's gotten I've gotten it and put him on a new diet of some really yummy um, feed that that he loves even more than what he was on so he's put on some weight and that's good in his 18 hand frame you know he's such a big guy and at such a young age it's been really hard to put weight on him but um, he loves this new food I mean he eats a lot and he just it's gone I, I sometimes wonder if I actually fed him because he eats it so fast I look in his bowl and see sometimes that it's gone I wonder did I feed him but he just <laughs> loves it and he eats it uh, yeah so he eats carrots uh, cookies, peppermints, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Well, I know there's been also an, another addition to your family, so to speak, since l- the last time I think you were on the show. You now have another puppy. Yeah, I guess I haven't spoke, seen you or, or spoken with you since then. Um, I do. He's six months old now, and he's another whippet to add to my other two whippets. And, you know, once you have whippets, it's kind of like what's the Lay's potato chips motto? You can't have just one. You have to just have more and more. So um, they work really well as a group. You know, they, 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 they 
they work all together. So if you have, you know, three, maybe, which we have now, maybe another puppy in the future might not be <laughs> out of the question either. But this one's name is Giacomo, and he's as sweet as can be, never met a stranger, very healthy, happy, wonderful. So, yeah, those are our kids. Well, I'd be afraid with having, you know, more than two, having like a, a small, you know, hound pack there virtually, that they would all go off hunting together. Do they? Because you've got alligators, right? They're all around you, haven't you? Well, you know, I haven't seen any um, right around where we live, but yes, it's the climate for them. They could be anywhere, and there are canals all around, but our farm is fenced. It has, um, you know, dog fencing, and I think a large alligator would have trouble getting in. But um, we have also some poisonous toads that are kind of scary, and if they eat those, they're not going to be very happy. But um, they do. If they see a bird, certain bird on the ground, they'll look at each other, and they'll speak a little whippet language and say, let's go and chase that, and they do. They like to they like to team up, but um, we're fenced in, so um, they have it kind of good here. I think we've got about six acres fully fenced, and they just get to live the life of luxury, and they have a pool to get in when it's too hot, and they're, they're pretty lucky dogs. It sounds like five-star accommodation for your dog family there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, Heather. And uh, you've got some other horses, I presume, some young horses as well. You're working on sales horses and that kind of thing keeps you busy, I guess, with your teaching as well. Yeah, I'm, I was just thinking today, I was just trying to count, uh, count how many hats I'm wearing these days, and it's kind of, it's kind of scary. Um, yeah, no, I'm working with some young horses and a lot of client horses, and um, I do have a... A young, well, he's five now, um, same size as Paragon, and I maybe, maybe just as exciting um, youngster that's coming along that is starting to take shape. You know, after they turn four, it starts to get a little more interesting, and that's been an exciting one on my on my agenda these days. So, might be talking about him sooner than later. Oh, that'll be fun. We look forward to that. A little bit of competition for attention then for Paragon. Absolutely, we hope so. Got to have something else coming along to fill his shoes. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a full show this week, as usual, Heather. And one of the things we're going to be hearing about later on is flying horses. Something that you're very used to, of course, having popped across the pond a few times. Oh, good. Yeah, that's quite an experience. Yeah, it it, it really is. And we're going to hear from Tim Duter, of course, you know so well who runs the Duda Corporation that flies horses all over the world from Shetlands to Olympic champions. So we're going to hear what that entails a little bit later on. But our news this week, first of all, one there's a couple of items, Heather, and one of which is Dane Rawlings, the British rider. He was actually born in England, but he's uh, now switched nationalities and uh, he's going to be riding for Ireland. So that's news from England and a boost to the Irish team, no doubt, because Dane actually started the dressage at Hickstead. He's been very involved setting up the British Young Riders dressage birds, as they call it, in England. And, you know, he's been really quite a driving force for dressage in England and uh, It'll be uh, interesting to see a switch of nationality because Ireland really doesn't have that many riders, you know, of Grand Prix calibre to make up a team, does it, huh. Heather? I mean, you probably... No. Yeah, I mean, I, I not so much, you know, a, a force to be reckoned with, you know, presently, but if they build it up, I guess. Um, has he given a, a reason for his decision or do we know sort of what he's why he's decided to do that? I think because he has family living there 
and mm-hmm. uh, he has a long-standing connection with the Irish horse uh, with Irish horse sport. But uh, yeah, I think there's some there's some family there that's uh, encouraged him to mm-hmm. to go over there. Um, you know, at least it's not too far away. So he must um, have sort of nationality there because you, yes. you have to become a citizen of the country to ride for a particular country, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that was the news from England. And then just one item of news from here that uh, is from the U.S. Equestrian Federation's uh, office. This week they have announced that the 2011 Pan American Games selection procedures Uh, are now official and the application form is posted on the high performance section of its website and we'll put a link to that for you for the Pan American Games and uh, Heather of course I have to ask you about that because um, from what we read there's a serious contention with your results that you've had with uh, Paragon to uh, have a run at at the Pan American Games yeah, well, I think we're serious contenders. I think um, last time I checked on the USEF website, uh, we were standing in third behind Stefan Peters and uh, Gunter Seidel as far as the um, the top 15 that get invited to the selection trials. So things are looking pretty strong for us. And um, I have, you know, such a young horse that uh, has a lot of future in the Grand Prix So I have a lot of thinking, you know, to do before I decide whether I will, you know, really go for that spot on the team. Um, Just a lot of thinking and um, figuring what's best for him and the future, and we'll see. But I'll surely be sending in my application. Oh, excellent. All right. Well, I hope you'll keep us posted. Come back here on the show and tell us how that goes. Um, Of course, we will be following that event with interest. Uh, That takes place in Guadalajara, Mexico in October, isn't it, Heather? It is, yeah. I think the 17th or so, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, we'll be sending teams in both eventing, dressage and jumping down to Guadalajara. Um, you know, I, I, there's years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Mexico, and I was always very nervous about the water down there. Have you been to Mexico? I went to Mexico back in my college days for spring break once, and I didn't have any problem. I don't know if I drank water, though. There was other stuff to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there was as a college student. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I did attend a, um, a Pan Am sort of advisory meeting for athletes wanting to get information, and um, I did ask that question. I said, you know, what's it going to be like for um, foreigners in the, in the water? And they said, oh, it's no problem. They almost acted to me like it was a silly question. And uh, But I know plenty of people who have gone to Mexico in, in very sophisticated resorts and have had trouble even eating fruit, so... I'm, I'm thinking about it too. I don't know. Yeah, I, w- I would too. Yes, I've I've actually been a few times now, and I haven't had any trouble. I've you know I've driven all over Mexico, and I haven't actually had a problem. But I've never drank anything except bottled water. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, obviously it has to be okay for the horses too. I mean, every precaution is taken for all of their nutritional needs, and not least of not least of all the water. So, but, you know, um, maybe maybe the adults just need to put something. You know, people you have to put something in the water and you'll be fine. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the answer. Vitamins before I go. <laughs> yes, yes, make sure. I mean, you know, and stay hydrated. I mean, that's the key, isn't it, for horses and humans? Yes, absolutely. But they say the climate is um, in October in Guadalajara is only going to be in the mid-70s. They say it's actually quite temperate and beautiful. So it's not like you might imagine sort of hot, dusty, kind of that's what I had in mind. But um, it's a really beautiful city and... Um, the, the temperature and the, the climate is going to be really, actually very nice. 
Oh, good. Well, um, we'll follow you, of course, in Paragon with interest and, of course, the game. So if, uh, if you do make it, um, we'll expect a full report afterwards. Great. From I'll Guadalajara. <laughs> right, Heather. Well, we want to uh, bring you our first guest in just a moment who is going to be paying tribute to Jane Gregory, who passed away just a couple of weeks ago here, the British dressage rider who's been on the Olympic team a couple of times. And she so sadly passed away of a heart attack. Um, and Richard Davison, her team friend and, and team member for a number of years, He's going to be paying a tribute to her in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you about Equestrian Collections, one of our presenting sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show. And the many riders that started their riding in other disciplines migrate towards dressage as they mature as riders. Physically, emotionally and intellectually, dressage becomes more attractive. And at every stage in their life, riders are looking to wear appropriate apparel that has often been designed specifically for the sport. Style and functionality are important, as is a certain level of attention to detail and quality. For this reason, there is no better choice than to shop at Equestrian Collections. Their selection is unmatched with the best names in riding attire. For all your riding and stable choices, be sure to visit equestriancollections.com. I know you shop there, Heather. I do. They have such a huge inventory. It's quite fun to go to their website. Absolutely. Well, don't forget, check out equestriancollections.com. They are one of our sponsors who make this show possible. Well, as I said, Jane Gregory passed away just a couple of weeks ago from a heart attack. It's very sudden loss and a loss to the, not only the dressage world, but the equestrian world in general, and not least of all to the many people who knew her so well. And one of those people was Richard Davison, who attended her, her funeral earlier this week. And I was able to catch up with Richard who is offering a tribute to Jane. It's a, a very, very sad time for, well, not just us dressage drivers here, but all equestrians, I think, all over, you know, that knew Jane. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very hard to take in, uh, to be honest. And it was, of course, a very sudden death, um, as, as I said in the introduction, that uh, she passed away from uh, complications from a heart attack. And so young, uh, Richard, and I know that you've known her a very long time. Yes, I, I, I have known her a very long time, really. We kind of um, grew up in this dressage world together. And as you said, it's, it's far too young, 51, and very sudden. Jane hadn't been ill, um, and she was literally riding her horse from the indoor running school at a beautiful home back to the stables, which is a short distance. 40 meters or so away you know when it happened so the the suddenness of it and and uh, jane being so young is is the thing that is really shocked us shocked us all and saddened us all and a very fitting tribute to her at the service earlier this week i understand uh, tell us about the people that uh, uh, celebrated her life we should say richard well, not surprisingly, there was an absolute massive turnout, and um, from uh, obviously huge amount of representatives from the dressage world as well as of her and uh, friends. Um, but uh, yeah, all, all, lots and lots and lots of um, former and current uh, British team riders and um, national riders as well. Uh, Anki came from Europe and, well, people came from all over the place. And I think that is testament 
to um, to Jane and to Jane's character. You know, I know that when 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 people pass pass on, people say very nice things about them. Uh, but the thing about this is, Jane was a very very special person, and she had very special qualities. Um, obviously, I, I knew her in a competitive world, uh, but she was very, very unusual because although she was as competitive as the rest of us, she she had a, a very, very open and non-competitive when she was, uh, you know, away from the, the competition arena, if you like. And uh, she was always a joy to meet. She was nice to meet socially, and she was a great influence on every team that she was on. And of course, I was on quite a lot of teams with her. Well, indeed, you were, and I, and, you know, of course, she competed in two Olympic games on two different horses. Of course, a few years apart now, from Atlanta up to Beijing, which of course was held in Hong Kong. And you were a part of those teams wearing different hats. So you, you know, you had a. a, a a relationship with Jane from many different perspectives, didn't you? I, I certainly did. And uh, as I said, when I was on teams with her, be it the Atlanta Olympic Games or, or other uh, teams, Ark and so on and so forth, you know, she she was a great uh, team member, uh, always nice, nice, nice to go out to dinner with, nice to actually train with and everything. And then, of course, as you say, uh, more recently, uh, when I was the team manager of Chef de Keep in... in um, for Hong Kong Olympic Games, she was an absolute joy. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you, as, a, as the chef to keep, you see things in a different perspective. But um, whether you needed Jane to go first, which, of course, nobody likes to go first in the team competition, uh, absolutely no problem. She, the, the unusual thing was that she, uh, and it shouldn't be unusual, but it is, she always put the needs of the other team members before her own, obviously in the hope that it would settle them and help them to to compete and realise their their own potential. Um, and, and although I, for, for listeners that have never been in that situation, that might seem a bit obvious and that, that you do that for highly competitive people. That's very very hard. But but Jane, uh, Jane, started person and a. And a, a big thinker and that that didn't take her any time at all to just do whatever was best for other people and the whole team and that was very special quality well it was a one of her many qualities she always exuded grace and composure didn't she yes she did and i'm glad that, that you you picked that up because she she did and, and humility and um uh, she she loved her horses and it, it, it's true to say that in uh, well, in recent years she went through a bit of a patch where she didn't have top horses. And in fact, you know, the the horse that she she took to the Beijing Olympic Games to Hong Kong, Lucky Star, she she knew that wasn't a top flying horse, but she was a great horsewoman. And actually, a bit that's a bit of an old fashioned thing now in our sporting um, world that we're in now. But Jane was a great horsewoman been brought up in the pony club and she you know galloping uh, across parts of Cornwall while she was where she was brought up and hunting and and, and all the rest of it and it it really showed because she knew how to care for horses and she knew the limits of horses and she didn't push the horse or expect the horse to be something that that he wasn't 
And I think that's a great compliment uh, that she actually brought that horse to, to an Olympic level. Um, but she had a very balanced view on it. And, uh, of course, she, she always wanted to do better. We all, all of us do. But her horses came first, and, and it did. All, all the animals that she was surrounded by all, always came first. Well, it's a very sad time, as you said, not just for the dressage world, Richard, but for the whole of the horse world to lose someone who was so dear to us all. And I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts on what must be, must be a very emotional time for you too, Richard. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, Heather, um, I'm, I'm sure you knew the name of Jane Gregory. Of course, she was on the team as uh, Richard said a couple of times, and it is always such a loss when we... It hits us hard, doesn't it, when one of our own is lost so early in life? Well, right. I've known her name and of her reputation and as such a wonderful person and never never got the pleasure of meeting her, but um, it is just such a shock and um, really brings us all to a place of hopefully appreciating our health and sort of counting our, um, what is the saying, counting our chickens? No, not counting. Counting our blessings, yeah. Our blessings, but... <laughs> yeah, certainly, um, certainly that. You know, so, so we enjoy our lives to the fullest every day, and I just wish the best for her family and that they get through all the sorrow and grief that comes so so strongly in a situation. Yes, and they, of course, have the support of the dressage community and the wider horse world and our sincere condolences to all of them. Well, we want to remind you about one of our other sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, Kentucky Performance Products, because when horsemen were asked what they were looking for in a nutritional supplement, the answer was easy, one that's affordable, effective, and scientifically proven. Kentucky Performance Products heard that message and developed supplements that meet those needs. All of their supplements, from Nalox and Aquine Antacid to Summer Games Electrolytes and Joint Armor, are formulated based on sound research. The important thing is that you can count on them to deliver results, and they're affordable. So to choose the right KPP supplement for your horse, visit kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-1988. And to learn more about horse nutrition and interact with the KPP experts, be sure to visit their Facebook page. Well, Heather, our guest, uh, second guest on the show this week is Tim Duter, of course, someone who you know so well, who's been flying horses for a number of years. And you've traveled with your horses, haven't you, when you've flown them across the pond? Yes, I have, a um, number of times, lost count, but um, every time it's different and every time you learn a lot more and um, it's just, it's such a, it's such an amazing experience. So we're looking forward to what uh, Tim has to say and he's definitely a master at his, uh, at his job and of the whole business. So it'll be fun to hear from him. Well, Tim, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Chris. Pleasure is mine. Well, Tim, this is an, always an interesting and I think a fascinated story when you talk to people about flying horses, and you've been doing it for a long time now for the U.S. team around the world to major championships, and I think you've got some two big jobs on on your plate in the next couple of years: the Pan American Games and the um, the games in uh, in Rio in a couple of years' time, a few years' time now. So and, and London next year. So we've got and London. Uh, yeah, we've got a very interesting full palette. Uh, we just uh, finished the World Equestrian Games last year in Kentucky. And this year we've got five show jumping tours uh, that are heading to Europe. 
uh, on various time of the year between now and uh, the fall. And then, of course, we've got uh, Calgary going on with the Million Dollar Masters. And we also have uh, uh, the Pan American Games in October in Guadalajara, Mexico. Well, as you say, you do give horses wings. You you literally do. Let's talk a little bit about the corporation, the, the Duta Corporation, before we uh, explain to our listeners exactly what it involves to fly horses. Uh, how did you get into the business, Tim? How did you start the I, I grew up, Chris, with horses in India, in New Delhi. Uh, my father was a cavalry officer. I grew up playing polo, turned pro at a very young age, uh, had a handicap of five goals uh, in India, played all over the world. I also was a show jumper, represented India uh, through the junior young riders as well as the Asian Games in New Delhi in 1982. Uh, I had an individual and a team medal uh, there, so horses were a passion. I came to United States in 1984 to spend the summer vacation before I was being commissioned in the Indian Army uh, to join my father's footsteps. And I fell in love with the West, and uh, the rest is history. I, I worked a little bit for Joe Farges and Conrad Homefeld in the show jumping business. And 1988, uh, September 13th, uh, Duda Corporation got its wings, and uh, we've never looked back. Uh, we're operating in 16 countries worldwide. We are a full-service logistic company. Uh, we partner with the equestrian teams as well as major show stable where we take over complete control of the logistics. Uh, we plan their tours. We plan their travels, layovers, ground transport, quarantine, customs clearance, uh, all the health requirements. And uh, I'm blessed to have uh, the patronage of the U.S. equestrian team, the Canadian equestrian team, the Mexican equestrian team, Argentine equestrian team, Brazilians, Venezuela, Colombia, uh, to name a few, uh, to take their riders back and forth to Europe and uh, some uh, exciting championships and or horse shows around the world. Well, I want to talk about your team, but first of all, we should, in full disclosure, the reason why we have you on the Dressage Radio Show is because, of course, your wife is Susan, due to the Dressage rider herself. But it, she is part of your personal team, but you do have an extensive team, as you said, a full-service that, that, support. That's correct. Uh, so Susan is usually our marketing person. Uh, she gives us the temperature of what's going on. We obviously uh, sponsor her horses through the Duda Corporation. She's got uh, three Grand Prix horses on tour right now. Um, so she, we get a lot of benefit of having her on the road, meeting her colleagues, seeing the daily challenges of showing internationally. Uh, Susan herself spends the winter in Wellington and summer in Europe competing at the, at the big shows. Um, so she's part of our marketing team, and I'm very blessed to have uh, incredible staff. Our vice president uh, and head of global operations is Karin Alquist, a lifelong horsewoman herself who runs my business out of our corporate office in New York. We have Claire Williamson, who came to us uh, through the polo world and then managed uh, my private show stable for five years and moved on as our import-export director. And she is also head of our airport operations, and we have dedicated employees in Miami, Los Angeles, uh, Amsterdam, Netherlands, uh, Lastrup, Germany, and Kent, England. So along with our partners in Argentina, Brazil, uh, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, uh, we're doing business a lot in South Africa with uh, 
with quarter horses and pleasure horses as well as polo ponies. So we're all over the place and uh, this success and the quality of service for our clients is not possible without the uh, the hours that goes in behind and, and the dedicated employees that uh, are part of our team, they're part of our family also. Well, it clearly is a team effort in every sense of the word there. Uh, um, Tim, just let's uh, start, if you will, just to outline what it is. When people think of flying horses, they it is so far removed from their everyday life. Um, but you, as you said, you do a full service. Explain to us the process. If I want to ship my little pony to Europe, what do I do first? Well, Chris, uh, we take a pony like yours, hypothetically, which is a one-horse shipment probably every 10 years for someone, or Sapphire or Hickstead or Ravel, since it's a dressage network, uh, we fly Ravel all over the world. He was just in Wellington for a week to win the Masters and flew back. Uh, the care for us is the same. Every client is a VIP client. Uh, we try to do the best possible job. And the easiest way is to make sure the stress is uh, not there. We try to have open communication with the owners. Very important, especially when first-time shipment, it's their family. It's not a uh, partnership. It is more like a children. So we make sure that you are completely involved in the process. We tell you what's going on, what to anticipate, what not to anticipate, when to be worried, when not to be worried. We talk, uh, we deal with your vet. We deal with your transport company. We deal with all the logistics. And we keep in, you informed during the process of the transport. Sometime a simple transport, for example, Chris's pony going from Lexington, Kentucky to uh, Amsterdam, uh, the actual amount of time the horse is in our hand is about 24 hours. But we, our staff, and you have a communication of roughly 30 days. So there's a lot of give and take, and we try to understand your needs, whether it is a specific hay allergy, whether it is a sound issue, whether the horse is nervous due to uh, meeting new people, whether the horse doesn't hydrate itself, whether the horse uh, is uh, tense, and thus could be a cause of shipping fever, or change in diet could be gas colic. So we take all of this information to heart. We... We encourage clients to talk openly about all their horses, good, bad, and indifferent. So we are armed with that information, and that gets passed on to our pro flying grooms, who are the best in the industry. And we try to deliver the horse uh, in the best possible shape to your hands on the other side of the pond, including delivery to your end destination in any country of the European Union or exotic destinations like Moscow, Russia, or Kazakhstan, or Tashkent, or... Abu Dhabi or Qatar or, or New Delhi or Johannesburg, South Africa. So if I've just bought a show jumper from Italy and I don't know how to get it here, you take care of the quarantine yes, requirements? We, uh, we, we do everything, Chris. Your worry stops when you make that phone call to our office and say, you bought a show jumper in Italy from Mr. So-and-so and here is his phone number. We reach out to Mr. So-and-so, we organize the blood work, we organize the health certification, we organize the customs clearance, we do any export and import permit requirement depending on the country of export. We organize the ground transport from Italy to our hub in Germany or 
if the horse needs to go directly to Amsterdam, there the horses are laid over. Uh, they've given a 24-hour rest. We make sure they're healthy. Uh, their stress level is, uh, is, is, is in a manageable situation. And then they connect our weekly flights. We're the only company in the world that flies to North America 52 weeks a year, every week. Uh, and we service uh, Toronto, New York, uh, Los Angeles, and Miami. So you, anyone that's listening to this show, if they want to ship a horse then, they don't have to be intimidated by the process. You know, maybe they've got a, a young horse that's not necessarily very good traveling on the road. Um, but, you know, and the idea of flying him might be somewhat overwhelming, thinking, well, he's going to get very nervous. It, presumably you have veterinary support when you're flying and that the horses, if necessary, could be sedated if they become anxious and that kind of thing. Uh, we have a pretty good angle of our staff to understand the needs of sedation. I personally will use sedation as a last minute uh, or the last resort of, of managing the horse. And the reason we do that is it sedation creates quite a lot of other issues, especially when the horses are in quarantine after they arrive uh to make sure they have hydration going on the guts don't slow down they're eating well and and passing manure etc but if the horses do need sedation they do get sedation and we give the sedation well prior to the anxiety and the anxiousness because we feel if a horse is nervous during transit to come to the airport or while they are waiting to be loaded and processed uh, they're anxious they are a candidate for sedation. And sedation can be for a young horse, it could be for an older horse, it could be for a horse who has traveled around, but travel does create anxiety. And horses are no different than you and I, Chris. Uh, some horses literally fall asleep by the time the plane is taxiing off for takeoff, and some horses are nervous two days after they arrive at the destination. So it is just... Every horse is an individual, and we deal with them as they present themselves. Well, it is a fascinating process. You must have so many stories to tell, Tim, from flying horses around the world to the extent that you have. Are there any sort of memorable moments where that, that are fit for a broadcast? Well... There were a lot of memorable moments. Uh, thank God in 25 years, and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of horses have been in the air, uh, we have not lost one. Uh, we have had a uh, issue where some stallion, and I can say, uh, God bless his soul, Tim Grubb, I flew his horses all over the world from his 1984 debut at the Olympic Games in, in, um, in Los Angeles uh, through through Barcelona, etc. This horse was being was flying and was going to Dublin for an international uh, jumping championships and for the Nations Cup. And 30 minutes in the air after takeoff, it managed to flip himself upside down like a <gasps> corgi with his legs up in a stall. So how he did it, nobody knows. The groom was with him. To make the story short, we had to dump fuel, 80,000 pounds of fuel in Jamaica Bay in the ocean of New York. The airplane was already past Boston to make a U-turn. We offloaded him. We had to cut the stall to get him out because otherwise there was no way to turn him around. And he stood up like a dog, shook himself, looked around like nothing ever happened, 
We switched the stalls around. We walked him, made sure he was sound. There was no laceration. Put him back on the plane, and off we went back to Dublin. And I think he won the Grand Prix of Dublin that year. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great and, and, and what is fantastic is I ship horses like Hicks did. I mean, I fly him 10, 11 times a year. Uh, was an incredible phone call to get from uh, Eric Lamaz and BZ Madden, who were in the jump-off, um, thanking me for the success they had and, you know, us being a small part of their success after winning an individual gold and an individual bronze medal. And that was very exciting. Or when McLean Ward calls me up after he wins two major Grand Prix in Europe last year with the horse Sapphires. I've flown her since she's five years old. Uh, she's gone through two Olympic Games and two World Championships and over 150 major career Grand Prix all over the world. So that's exciting also for us because this is what we live for. Or a great polo player, the legendary Carlos Garcia, the longest-running 10-goal handicap player in the world. When he goes to Europe or to Queen's Cup or the Argentine Open and their team has success, that's very fascinating. Or somebody, uh, a Ravel, who doesn't have to say, uh, Stephen Peters doesn't have to say the word thank you, I get paid for it. And his gratitude that the horse arrived safely in, in San Diego and he looked amazing since the day last day he saw him. And this is what our team waits for and uh, what we excel in. But we also appreciate and work very hard to have the single horse owners, ponies, uh, somebody's life, love life that is a three-year-old dream that they bought at an auction in Hanover. Uh, and some of these horses we've gone through uh, their whole career, like Peter Leon's Legato. I imported them as a two-year-old. It was very gratifying to see him jump for the silver medal in the Olympic Games in 96 in Atlanta. Uh, because you get to know the horse. We feel very invested in the horse. And it's not only me because I'm passionate horseman, lifelong horseman, or we are living the dream at home uh, with our own horses, uh, but to see others uh, and our whole team is invested. We all care about your success. Uh, our mission statement is we give horses wings, but we are here to get you from one place to the next championship in perfect shape, we become a partner. We, we are an extension to their success, uh, even though we are a small part, but we are an integral part because if we didn't get them there in good shape, they wouldn't be competing. Well, you mentioned that And along that you... the way, there's a logistics nightmare. You know, the things yeah. happen. Trucks don't show up on time, etc. But we've got our own fleet of trucks in Europe, and uh, we just take, we cross every T dot every I, we do not leave any stone unturned, and we always have plan A, B, and C to make sure your horse gets to you as good a shape as you possibly can. Well, you mentioned a lot of your return clients there. They must become, when, when you get, they get in your hands, they must be like old friends coming back for another trip. We are. Uh, I'm very lucky. Uh, I think in 25 years, uh, I have lost two clients, and I'm not sure whether it was my choice or their choice. Uh, they're family. We treat them like family. We become friends. We are invested in their business, and their success is our success, and our success is their success. So it goes hand in hand. Well, you mentioned and, the and flight. we learn from every flight. Oh, I'm sure you mentioned um, you know that the flying. Uh, the the whole operation is is very much like humans. You know, we all get anxious. Do we get a choice then? If I was a horse, would I get a choice of going coach or first class with you? 
absolutely. There are three choices. As you know, Chris, is a very interesting question you asked. Uh, the stalls, the jet stalls. First of all, we have the best in the industry jet stalls. Our stalls cost 35 to 40,000 euros. They are completely aluminium. They're soundproof. We have the only industry standard gel pads on the floor. And so the horses are standing on a soft cushion, yet they don't slip. And it saves their back and loins in, in the hindquarters from stress of holding themselves up during the flight. Uh, muscle fatigue is much reduced. The noises are much, and this is the roomiest jet stalls money can buy that can operate on a 747, MD-11, 767, or 757, and sometimes Airbus 300 aircraft. Uh, that's the diff- one of the big differences of hardware. We have exceptional industry standard stalls, jet stalls, that we have invested uh, quite a lot, and we fly our own stalls all around the world uh, on the aircraft that we buy space from or lease for the flight operation. Um, the other thing is we have, on an average, 15 to 20 years experience flying grooms. Along with the shipper's groom, we always collaborate what's best for the horse. And we, the size of the horse matters. So if, for example, you have a 17-2-hand jumper, it's impossible to think that I'm going to ship your horse in a coach class, meaning three horses in a pallet. It's just not possible to go to a horse show. It is possible that if you buy the horse and he's five years old and he doesn't need much room so he doesn't get stupid in there, that it is the right thing to do. So again, when we have this phone call from Chris, the client, we ask all these questions to ascertain, A, what's the budget, B, what's the plan, and C, what's the size of the horse so we can suggest to you uh, what space you need. Just like uh, warm bloods or just like a plane, it's not the service, it's the size of the stall. That's the width. The length is the same. It's just the width of the stalls. Stall and a half is the most comfortable way to go. We do not suggest flying single uh, first class, which is one horse in the stall. The only horse I think I fly quite often on that configuration is the individual Olympic gold medalist from Hong Kong, Hexted. He's a stallion. He's breeding a lot, and he hates other horses when he's around. So he gets to fly all by himself on the plane. Very nice. And he loves it. Yes. And I sometimes can imagine. during flight, he will go to sleep. So And he takes a snooze. He sleeps on the truck. Uh, when we ship him across uh, any distances, uh, he has he gets a box stall, a double box we call it, and he will lay down and go to sleep. Oh, he'll actually lay down. He absolutely likes his stall. <laughs> on, on cruise, if you let him go, he goes to sleep, and he is very comfortable there till we wake him up. Gosh, talk about uh, t- 10-star accommodations for these horses. Yeah, but he's earned it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Olympic champions do uh, have preferential yeah. treatment, don't they? Uh, yeah. And you mentioned, Tim, at, at the start of this, that you are flying team horses for different nations all the time, and, and some of the big jobs that you've got coming up shortly would be, um, of course, going down to Rio, to, sorry, to Guadalajara for the Pan American right. Games and, and London right. next year. Let's just briefly give us a snapshot of what that process would be, because you don't know the horses until they're finally selected. But the whole logistics of, do you have to go down and do a recce and make well, sure we, the ground... We potential? have already done that, Chris. I've already been to Guadalajara once with uh, with, with the chef de mission of the U.S. equestrian team, uh, Mr. Jim Wolf. 
Uh, I will be going down for the test event in June. I'll be going down again in October, just before the first operation goes in. The same for the London Olympics. We're going to go to the test event in, in, in uh, Greenwich Park in June. Uh, this is where our team and I, we assess the airport capabilities. We meet the FPOs. We meet the handling companies. We meet the local ground transport companies. We meet with the local police for the escort to the venue. We drive to the venue five, six, seven times ourselves. So we know the roads. We know the traffic conditions. Uh, we, when that airplane lands in Guadalajara, it'll have about two years of back work for the first operation to go smooth. Uh, we prepare plan A, plan B. We prepare an alternate airport site where we can go back if we have an earthquake, we have riots, we have um, civil unrest in Mexico Where, if we abort the mission where we are going to go back. This will be a chartered aircraft. We will be flying uh, the, these horses from Newburgh, New York to Guadalajara for the eventing, uh, for the dressage and show jumping team. And uh, the eventing team will be leaving from Ocala as they're going to have the last prep there. And Ocala Airport is 20 minutes away from David O'Connor's farm. So it'll be, we'll try to reduce the stress as little as possible. The aircraft will be waiting for these horses. They'll all be grouped together and they walk onto the plane and start engine and off we go. And these aircraft, there are a variety of different aircraft that fly horses, aren't they? And I often hear that sometimes we could be flying in a passenger aircraft and there might be a horse behind us. Very interesting question, Chris. Uh, I have a lease contract with KLM where we fly horses every week. That's a 52 weeks a year. Uh, It's a KLM 643 from Amsterdam to New York. And every week we have horses and you could be flying as a passenger right in front. Most of our team horses are flown in this configuration, so we could have our team coaches, uh, athletes' uh, spouses, the grooms, the athletes themselves. Uh, on some occasions, George Morris, our chef de mission, uh, would be tra- traveling, and they are in front of the airplane, and the horses are right behind the door. And we can take uh, 16 horses in this configuration, uh, and we fly this airplane every week. Now, the takeoffs and landings for horses uh, can be different to passenger aircraft. Is that so, Tim? That's what I've heard. Well, uh, the pilots are very sensitive uh, to the that they have horses in the back. We ask on our pre-flight request with uh, the air traffic control for the longest runway we could get. We try to take the turns to the runway easier than if you had just passengers. They, they understand the horses. Are getting, they, they hear the sounds of the engines. And again... If the horse is nervous, what we do is we sometimes will put mufflers or we, we put the earplugs in the ear. So it, the noise of the engines going on and off uh, deadens the horses a little bit. And if they don't really care about the noise, then we leave them alone. It just depends on the horse again and what the reactions we get while we're loading the horse. Uh, they use a full runway. They usually has a slow climb out or a lower grade of a climb out. And they try to go around thunderstorms. They will look for radar control all the time. Um, they are looking for any bad weather uh, or, 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 you know, depressions. And sometimes we have flown an hour and a half around a storm just to save the horses' bumps. And, and that's a considerable amount of fuel costs, especially in these days of the way the fuel is going. Absolutely. Well, that's an interesting... And the landing is the same thing. With the 747 as the king of the airplanes, 
they come in at a very slow speed on the glide slope and, and they just, uh, you know, find themselves a, a landing spot, especially at Kennedy when the runway is so long. Well, you mentioned an interesting point there about the cost of fuel, and it's nice to think they go around the thunderstorms. I think I'll fly with you in future to avoid that uh, <laughs> turbulence, Tim. Well, we, we try, but, you know, we're not sometimes lucky, especially clear weather turbulence, which just shows up on a radar screen. And when we have horses on, like in the most passenger transatlantic flight, they don't keep their earpieces on because they, you know, they just uh, go from one tower to the other, and it's about a three-hour tower break. But if we have horses on, the captains do keep their microphones on. They're looking for traffic coming. They will go change altitude to beat the weather around. And we try to stay somewhere at 36,000, 38,000 to get them up, you know, a nice, smoother run. And if we do see bumps, our grooms are right with the horses. We, we don't, uh, even in the worst weather, our pro boys are with them. We try to talk to them. We try to hold on to their halters and say it's okay. And you would be surprised, Chris, how well horses understand when a human is there with a little bit of touch, uh, talking to them, and, and just the hearing a human voice and the smell of a human being, uh, they relax quite a lot, especially younger horses. Mm-hmm. It must be reassuring to them. But you mentioned, Tim, the, the cost of, of fuel, of course, and, and with the global situation, it does, these costs always ripple down to us if we're flying ourselves. Do you see this going to have an impact on the cost of flying horses? And could you give us, a, a, secondarily, a typical fare from, say, taking my event horse from Lexington to, say, Amsterdam? Well, Lexington to Amsterdam is somewhere in the range of, uh, with bells and whistles, about $5,000 one way. Uh, currently, or last week's fuel surcharge, we are at $510 a horse based on 500 kilos. And that's a, a generous statement because most warm bloods are somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 pounds, which roughly comes to about 1,000 kilos. So the airlines are also taking a hit on their chin. And most clients understand. Uh, some clients, if they don't want to understand, you just have to ask them, when was the last time you put gas in your tank? And mm-hmm. they'll say usually, well, yesterday. And I would say, what happened the week before? And you'll hear a quiet silence. And all of a sudden, yes, it was 10 cents more. And then you say, you know, it takes 80,000 gallons of fuel to fly an airplane from JFK to Amsterdam. And imagine a 10 cent spike how much money is coming down. So somebody's got to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, and most people understand it. I certainly see somewhere on the lower end of the scale it's going to make a difference. But to be honest with you, when you have uh, clients of this caliber and even if they're spending for a leisure horse an average sum of, say, 25,000 euros, I think $500 plus or $500 minus is not going to change the budget. That's, that's just my humble opinion. They, <laughs> horse people are very resilient. They find a way to get the best for their horses and less for themselves or their family. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you mentioned all the, all the flying that you do. And, of course, you can, you can rack up air miles, Tim, and I'm sure you have many millions of air miles yourself. But with your return customers, can they get the horses? Can they rack up air miles with, with the t- d- Dutta Corporation? Well, we have tried to do that. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find a formula that everybody wins, meaning us as a company wins, the client gets the loyalty reward. 
and the airlines get somewhere. Uh, the way the airlines look at it is they are selling you a space on a cube volume weight. We fill the airplane. And if we didn't do it, they make more money to take UPS's letters than ship a horse from me and deal with all the aggravation that goes on with shipping livestock and how demanding we can get uh, with the airlines. So unfortunately, the, the only way it can work is if somebody somewhere prepays a revenue stream and in that case, they cannot get the best deal. So I always feel that we try to save. We're very, very fiscally conservative on the client side. We try to save money without saving quality. I will not compromise. Uh, I rather not work for a client than take a shortcut, meaning the horse is going to suffer. Uh, our credo is the horses come first and the grooms come second and the, uh, the owners come third. Um, and uh, if that means that I'm going to lose a client or not ship a horse, so be it. But we do not cut any corners. Uh, and that means labor cost at the airport or having the best hay or the grain or uh, the fluffiest uh, shavings, the big chunks, so they don't have, uh, for example, um, dust. Uh, I feel that if they get dust in the, in, in, in the container, it creates uh, other issues with the lungs. Horses can get upper respiratory infections. So things like this, uh, I'd rather pay $8 for a bag of shavings than $2 for a bag of loose shavings and figure it out in the cost of doing the service. And, and my clients who pay me for my services deserve it. They're the best, and they should absolutely get the best. Well, I think that sums it up, uh, Tim. It really is a fascinating operation, a fascinating profession to be in, and, uh, and not short of stories, too. I'm sure you, you're very entertaining at a cocktail party. I'm sure you could uh, <laughs> spin oh, Well, certainly, and, and it's, it, it's a good conversation to speak. And my whole family, our son, I'm very, very blessed. He's into jumping. He's riding. Uh, we are lifelong horse people. Susan's life is dedicated to dressage, and we are very blessed to have some world-class horses in our own stable that we have made. And so we eat, live, and dream. Uh, we are horse people 24 hours, seven days a week. So this is not a profession for me. This is my passion. This is my life. This is all I know. A labor and, of uh, love. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and I'm very blessed. Every person in our office, in our organization, they are horse people first, secretaries, office managers, uh, accountants, business analysts, grooms, drivers, secondary. Uh, we are all horse people. We understand the language. We come from the sport horse background. We get it. We are living the same dream as our client. And uh, this is the difference our company brings to the table than anywhere else in the world, we are, that, that we are horse person, layer after layer after layer. We may not have the best-looking letterheads, and the letters may not go out the best way, but uh, for sure... Are uh, you know the receptionist can groom for anybody in the world, and they have. They've you know our receptionist has been to the Olympic Games as a groom, so she knows the game as well as anybody else. Well, terrific, uh, Tim. I want to thank you so much for telling us your story here on the show, and uh, fascinating to to hear the ins and outs of flying horses. Thank you so much for your time. It, it, it's a pleasure, Chris. And if any of your uh, illustrious uh, listeners would like to speak to me directly or write to me via email, they're more than welcome to go to our website at www.timduda.com and I'm more than happy to give them any insights that they may ask. Well, we will certainly, of course, put a link to your website from our website on the dressageradio.com so uh, our listeners can uh, go and visit your website too. Tim, thank you so much again for your time. Thanks a lot.
Well, that was great and very educational, Heather, to hear from Tim and the Duta Corporation, how they do things over there and flying their horses all over the world. Um, it must be actually quite a fun job to be a groom for, for horse transporters like that, you know, if, you're, if you like traveling. I guess it's a little bit like being an air stewardess. Yeah, only different. You just get a lot more hay and shavings all over you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's really an adventure, and it's um, it is really really fun as long as nothing goes wrong. I mean, sometimes you're you know stuck in the airport for hours and, and hours and hours, but um, it's yeah, it's definitely an adventure. And then when it's all done, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are always stories, aren't there? Um, yeah, and. So, of all your adventures, I mean, you've you've flown back and forth with Paragon too, haven't you? He did go with me to Denmark in 2006 when he was three. Just simply, at that point, I just thought, well, he's mine. I can't sell him. Didn't have time to sell him before I left, so I just took him with me. Um, at that point, I just didn't realize what I had. But um, good thing I did, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you did. I should have him too. <laughs> but you and he went over as a three-year-old, and which by the time he was at that time was sixteen, two, a little horse when he went over, and a big horse when he came back. Um, but you know, he he handled the trip just fine. He really thought it was all pretty fun. He's a pretty laid-back guy, though, isn't he? He's very laid-back. Like I want his secret. <laughs> <laughs> He just thinks, I mean, the world is just a great place for him. He just thinks it's really wonderful. He's so laid back. Yeah, it's wonderful to have that attitude, you know, and especially in a horse, and especially a horse that's going to be, you know, a high-performance horse. They're really just going to take it in their stride, and nothing's going to be a big deal for him. Well, yeah, I mean, just, you know, just imagine how much they have to deal with, and hopefully he gets to an international level of my, my goal for him, and you just know what all they have to overcome and accept. And, you know, if they start out like he does, I think he's got a big jump on that. All right. Well, we're going to come to his diary in a minute where you're going to fill in uh, all, all the news that has been happening to him this this year since you were on the show again. But not before I remind you about our other sponsors here on the show, Equisketch. They're a great new company dedicated to providing the best mobile apps for every rider. Each app has been designed to be used by riders of all ages and all levels of experience. With Equisketch Dressage, you can replace your dressage paper or dry erase boards and begin learning all your dressage tests on your iPhone or iPad. The Equisketch board allows you to study in a flashcard style by hiding the step instructions while visualizing your location in the arena. Every test can also be viewed in a written format and later ch- shared with your dressage students or fellow riders. Equisketch Records allows you to manage all your horses and shows on the go. Track every medication, vet visit, dental exam, farrier work and more, complete with built-in reminders. Equisketch has some of the best-selling equestrian apps on the iTunes App Store, which have already been purchased in over 35 countries. They're available for the iPhone, iPad and iPod Touch. Visit equisketch.com slash hrn for more information or search Equisketch in iTunes. Equisketch is dedicated to making your equestrian life mobile, one app at a time. Well, knowing what a, a geek you are, Heather, did I say that? I, I don't think you did. I think you said something else. <laughs> Surely you didn't. A tech technical geek, I should say. You know what, Chris? I'm going to give up on being a geek because I have two hard drives that have totally crashed this week. Oh, no. Yep. 
Yep, and I am. I've, I've decided. Are you over it? You're over being a geek. I'm over it. Yep, I'm going to go back to nature. <laughs> <laughs> I might even give up my car and just get like a, a whatever a buggy and just have my horses for transportation. <laughs> Just going to go back to nature. That's, that's a com- yeah. That's that's. Can, can, could you do without all this electrical equipment then? I could learn. You think you could? <laughs> the frustration of a crashed hard drive is just one uh, that it's hard for me to take. Did did but yeah, I used well, to be a geek? So what were you going to say about my geekiness? <laughs> Well, you, yes, you used to be known for somebody who loved technology and, of course, your iPhone and your iPad. So I was wondering if you had this EquiSketch app. I haven't had time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it yet, but it sounds really great. And I think I'm going to suggest it for my students and stuff. But no, I, whew, it's on my list. Well, it, it's not if your hard drives are crashing. That won't do. Um, no. So you said not just one, but two. Two, yes. So, within within four days. <gasps> yeah. And you know, I don't know why it's uh, it's it's happening, but it is. So well, you just the test of my fortitude. Well, you know what they say that me- Mercury is in retrograde right now. Did you know that? No. Is it? Yes, it is. is. April Fool's joke? No, it's not April. No, it, no, no. Would I? Would I catch you on an April Fool's joke, Heather? You do every year, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Except this year, I just went up on you. I was expecting the call this year. <laughs> yeah, you saw it coming, didn't you? I did. Um, yes, it is apparently Mercury retrograde, and. When that happens, it's those kind of things that can go wrong, apparently. Technology can go wrong. It must be what it is. It, How do we stop this retrograde thing? How, what's that? How do we stop the retrograde? How do you, I think it just does its own thing. I don't think you can change it, but it, it is a phase you will that? go... I'm sorry? We can't control that? Apparently not, no. So that could... I think you might just have to Google that, Heather, and find out when Mercury is Mercury stops retrograding, and then right, that well then, then that would be the hibernate to- until then. <laughs> then don't turn on your computer till it's it stopped retrograding. Okay. I I turn it off. This is call is over. I'm going to turn it off. <laughs> All right. Well, I know you how much you love talking about Paragon, so here's your opportunity to fill us in with Paragon's diary. Well, Paragon um, is on not a new journey, but I guess just the next phase of the journey that he's been on ever since he was um, started, a three-year-old. And he's starting in on the jump that he needs to make from his small tour career, which he's been so, I shouldn't say breezing through because he's worked hard to do it. Um, but, you know, it's more or less been easy for him to do what he's done so far uh, from that into the Grand Prix. And um, it's an intimidating thing to do because you basically have to take what I feel like is a more than perfectly good small tour horse and then start messing with it. <laughs> um and it's it's just, you know, if any of you out there listening have gone through that transition, you know, starting to bring up the questions that you need to ask of a Grand Prix horse, 
you know how how much of a you know a huge difference it is between the two levels and and I've heard some trainers say that they think it's a and I sort of believe this um it's a bigger difference between pre St George and Grand Prix than it is from training level to pre St George and um it, it it's profound I think how, how different it is and it just comes down to you know they don't really get a second to have you know, any any discussion, any room for excuses, it's just got to happen. Um, you know, the, they just have to stay connected. They have to stay through. They have to be really, really strong for everything that you do. Um, and that's just a, it's a really big transition. So, um, I, you know, I could say it's very exciting to think that now we're going to start um, with the goals of uh, getting to the Grand Prix now. Um, but it's also a little intimidating, and, and it's just a, it's a little daunting. But um, Paragon is the kind of horse that will definitely rise to the occasion. Um, I know that any questions I start to ask that are a little beyond his reach, um, he's going to do whatever he can to to figure it out and get there. And you know, he's such he's such a talented guy. And his temperament is just so willing. But he, you know, he struggles like any of them to put all of the, you know, the thousands of ingredients together in every second. And, and you know, no horse can get that without really hard work and dedication and, and all of the all of the things it takes. It's profound. So um, we are, we're going to be working, you know, really hard, of course, with his happiness and his health and his, um, you know, everything I need to consider that, that he's ready for it. Um, but I think he is, and and he's doing great. He knows all of the things. He knows all of the changes and the half passes and the pirouettes and the extensions, of course, that's his strength. Um, but it really boils down to, am I going to have him connected and in the right throughness and in the right place in his body every single step? <laughs> so that's what our uh, homework is for the next few months, and then we will where we come out on the other side and um, I'm pretty optimistic and I think he is too and he's getting plenty of encouragement from all of his fans around the world that know what he's doing and that helps us a ton you know to know how many people are behind us and really really supporting us and um, on his fan page and Facebook and um, on the responses from our newsletters and things like that so that really helps, and we feel it, and it helps us kind of forge on. So we'll just um, have to get back with you when we have a new report on what's happening, and maybe I'll get some more videos up. Excellent. So is there anything from that, Heather, that, that you – As I mean, I know you often give a tip when you're on the show – is there anything that sort of comes to mind that you, like you mentioned, you know, the difference between going from, you know, training to, to, uh, to this, to the level he's at now, and then, you know, the next level in, in terms of taking a horse up through the levels, is there any, any tip there that you think would be helpful for our listeners when they're wondering, you know, how quickly they should proceed? Of course, each horse is different, but anything that comes to mind? that would be helpful to them? Well, you just said it. I mean, every horse is so different that, um, that of course, every single one of them will take a different amount of time 
But I guess the answer lies in that, too, that if you are good enough at reading your horse, which is much easier said than done, um, sometimes horses can fake it that they're doing fine, and sometimes they can fake it that they're overstressed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you really have to be good at, you know, not being faked out by them and knowing, you know, when it's real that they're saying this is the limit or when it's them saying, you know, that I want to really believe in you. If this is really your goal, I'll do it, that you don't back down too soon. It is, it's extremely difficult to know. Um, of course, I always keep my veterinarian on hand to make sure that he's along with me and he makes sure my horses are, are healthy from his perspective, that there's nothing wrong. But then, you know, they've got to push and they have to, they have to dig pretty deep as much as riders do to figure out all the, you know, the things that it takes. And, um, you know, just listening to each one of them, you know, you don't, you don't want to rush it. You don't want to, you know, just put your horse through a bunch of goals that you have for yourself that aren't goals also for the horse. Um, but you also, uh, you don't want to rush it, but you don't want to waste time either. So, you know, finding that perfect balance between challenging them so that they're interested, um, but not over pushing them so that they don't know what's going on is the thing that I think really separates one trainer from the next. And, uh, that's, that's what we all like really strive for every day is that perfect balance. So all I can say is good luck because it's hard. And each horse presents its own challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. They all have very different training challenges, but they're all trying to get, you know, all of the challenges out of the way and on track to, you know, we all want to get to the same destination where we have, you know, ultimate cooperation and, partnership and suppleness and power and all those things are all we all want to get there but the path to it is different for every horse so it's kind of like we all start from a different location and each one's map is different to get to the same ending point so it's um it's an inherent challenge yeah the key is to map your route uh, and how you map your route yeah yeah all right, Heather. Well, great. Well, good luck with him. Come back and keep us posted on his progress, won't you? Oh, uh, you know I will. All right. Well, I want to remind you of a very special guest next week on the show. This is Courtney Dye, and I'm looking forward to being on the Dressage Radio Show. I know you have all been following me all along, so... I wanted to tell you everything that's going on with me because you've been so supportive. I'm unstoppable. As I said, Courtney will be joining us next week. So if you have any questions for her, please send them to me before the end of this week. Well, that about wraps it up from Heather and I this week. And don't forget, you can check our show notes at, at dressageradio.com. You can also download the Hallway Feeds app on your iPhone and listen to us on the go. And you can also take advantage of a free month's trial at audible.com. Just go to audible.com slash HRN where you can get a free trial of an audio book and you can also do your shopping from the dressage radio shows website just click on the link to amazon as well don't forget to check out our facebook fan page as always and leave your comments there we love to hear from you 
And also follow us on Twitter, Chris E. Stafford and Horse Radio. And you can follow Heather at Heather Blitz. And you can follow Paragon at HRH Paragon. Right, Heather? That's right. Yes, he'd be um, glad to hear from you on his fan page. <laughs> All right. That, of course, is at Facebook, so don't forget to check out Heather's Facebook. We'll put links to all of those sites on our show notes. And uh, don't forget, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, send those over to me, chris at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, if uh, you want to avoid Metro- Mercury retrograde, we won't remind Heather that now is not the time to be playing with your hard drive, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well enough alone. Stop pushing buttons. That's Stop right. Buttons. Not this week, Heather. No more pushing buttons and playing with your iPhone, okay, and your and your hard drives. All right. And, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, come back and see us soon, Heather. I appreciate you joining us. As always, always great to have you on the show. And our listeners enjoy it too. We always get great comments when you've been on the show. So, uh, as we say on the Dressage Radio Show, don't be a stranger to us. Come back and see us again in a few weeks. It was great to be back, and thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. I will be back, of course, same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.